welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Stephen Gillespie, and we're recording this on a Monday. We only have so many of these Mondays, quote-unquote, in-season left. But while we have them, Tyler Rucker, a.k.a. Backcourt Violation, is joining us as he always does to talk about actually not what the hell Nate wrote this week. We're, 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 we're trying to recap some games that happened in the tournament, not talk about necessarily what's to come. We'll, we'll save the previews for, for a different show, but we, we wanted to come together. We want to talk about what happened during the first week of March Madness. How is any of it relevant to the scouting world that we're all in? What were some of the things that we were all excited about? What were some of the things we were a little nervous about? And what are some points that people should go pay attention to in case they want to go back and rewatch some of these games? So, Stephen, I'll I'll start with you, my good man. How you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing awesome, Nathan. I fun weekend of basketball. Made a couple guest appearances. You know, of course, I'm I'm bumping the No Ceilings brand everywhere I go. I'm excited to be here on a beautiful Monday and talk about these games before you know Thursday happens. Yeah, you have zero excuse to mess up on this podcast because you literally just <laughs> did this same exercise with Raphael Barlow over on the Locked On NBA Draft Show. Congrats. To that guest Thank you. Years, by the way. So Thank you. yeah, no no excuses. You, you better be an all-star tonight. Dude, I've been I'm full of red bull and water. I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Rucker, how you doing? I'm good. You know, um a long weekend of college basketball. I guess a long week, really. You look but, as tired um, as I am, so it's all good. Yeah, I think it's only gonna get worse too. Um <laughs> so I'm I'm ready. You know, this is this is the real gauntlet. We're we're finally in the heart of draft season and it's only gonna get more crazy and chaotic uh moving forward. But what a great weekend of uh, of college hoops and I'm excited to talk about it with you guys and, and break down what's gonna be happening moving forward and some of the prospects. Like this is gonna be a good one. Nathan, what's the over under on uh, Rucker staying awake by the for the whole show? What do you got? I'll give it an hour. So give it an hour. All right, I'll, I'll take give it an hour. hour. I, I'm in the time of the year where I'm like, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone, but I'm training my body to like stay up till two or three at least. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be okay. All right. Um, you know, I got backup generators rolling right now. I'm gonna be all right. So <laughs> don't worry about it. If any one of Starbucks or Red Bull just wants to sponsor No Ceilings yeah. at this point, we will gladly rock your product from, yes. from here on out. So. The no Gladly. worries on that front. So let's get started. I figured we would run through some of the Saturday games that we wanted to touch on and then kick it over to some of the Sunday games. We will end on arguably the most exciting game of the weekend in which Steven and Tyler will have so many thoughts to share. I probably won't even have to talk once, once we get to that game. But we'll start with the Saturday slate, the game that everyone wanted to see the most in the scouting world was Gonzaga and Memphis, a.k.a. Chet Holmgren against Jalen Duran. Now that game did not end up being that matchup specifically in terms of what actually happened in the game. It was a lot of the role players for both teams, but we do have to touch on the two top prospects because we're, we're looking there. They're, they're arguably two top eight prospects going up against each other in the, in, in the NCAA tournament that rarely happens on a year to year basis. So I mean, Chet Holmgren, nine points, nine rebounds, two assists, four blocks. He did have five personal fouls, a.k.a. he fouled out of the game. Um, 
four of seven shooting from the field, zero of three from three. So not necessarily lighting it up. But Mr. Durant did not exactly light it up either. Seven points, seven rebounds, two assists, one block, um, four fouls. So very close to fouling out, but he actually kept himself in the game. Three for 11 shooting from the field, one of two from the free throw line. So obviously we're now looking at 15 plus shot attempts for either player. We're talking about big men who are generally more of the play finisher slash cleanup guys for their teams anyways. So we didn't think it was going to be a sexy scoring battle. They weren't going up against each other the entire game, but they did match up a few times on the block. And I would say that each of them got the best of the other in certain situations. I I didn't feel like the matchup when it did happen was particularly one-sided. I would probably still say Chet overall, even though he fouled out, I still feel like he impacted the game in a whole more than Duran, but I really think this could be something that could be argued either way. What do you think, Stephen? Who do you, who do you think won the battle between the two prospects? Who who really stood out to you the, the most and then maybe helped themselves? It's really weird. I would say just based on who we have being the better overall between the two of them, like you just touched on, Nathan, I think that Chet was the guy that stood out more. But I don't think anybody got any more clarity on what they were kind of hoping to see um, when the when the game was finished. You know, I think that... The people who think that Chet might have some problems going up against some physical post players, they they got a little validation in that matchup. The the people who thought that Chet's skill is going to outweigh any sort of physical you know limitations or deficiencies that are in his game, I, I think they got validation too. I don't think that anybody walked away any more victorious than they did coming into the game and as far as evaluating Chet Holmgren. I like Duran a lot in this game, even though it was like, limited sample size. It wasn't the most efficient scoring. He showed that he can continue to battle. The motor is what really stood out for me because he could have got really discouraged like a lot of young big men do whenever they're getting their shots blocked. But he played hard. He ran the floor. He moved the ball. And he rebounded very well too. He wasn't... He didn't give up on the first attempt. I'll put it that way. And again, Chet Holmgren. I mean, we saw him on the block a lot. We saw him block some shots. But what really impressed me was that he wasn't afraid to try to take Jalen Dern off the dribble on the perimeter either. Yes. So those were things that kind of stuck out to me in their matchup. Rucker, what stood out to you? Um, I think the overreactions are going to be a little bit crazy. Um, it's exactly what I expected, and I'm not trying to be like a buzzkill here, but I think we were going to go into this game and everyone was like, oh my gosh, you know, two big giants going up against each other, potentially the number one pick and a top 10 pick that's making some noise lately. And thought it was pretty much what we should have been expecting you know a a little bit of going back and forth when they had limited samples uh to go at each other chet showed that he could struggle with the strength he also showed he could make some plays um away from the ball and and kind of also deal with it duran showed that the motors started to come alive He, he showed some impressive flashes too you know like steven said i don't really think we went any other way i think we're still right right there on the fence where it's just like, okay, we, we know what these guys are. Um, I didn't go into that game thinking like, Oh, Chet might put up 20 and 15. Like I, I was just like, that's just not really what Chet does all the time. I, I know he's had some big box scores this year, but I don't even think that's going to be his, his type of playing style in the NBA. I, I think he's going to be more of one of these 15 and 11 with blocks um, each game. I, I think he's just going to be a guy that makes your defense a lot better. Um, I will say, like, I've been impressed with what Duren's done over the last month. Um, 
definitely started to make me eager to go back and watch his film even more. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't too surprising for me. Um, the, the big winner of this game was Drew Timmy. I mean, Drew Timmy's all of a sudden starting to really heat up again. Um, I think he's been absolutely magnificent lately. And he even made I, a three point shot. Yeah. I mean, that's not something we see every day. Timmy does this every year. I mean, the, the mustache gets some magic in March and, and all of a sudden now we're going to be like, okay, is Drew Timmy coming back into the top 60 conversation again? Because, um, you know, if Gonzaga keeps having a, a lengthy run, the real, I, what's fascinating about Gonzaga lately is they've gotten off to really slow starts. Um, Cause I had some buddies text me at like halftime, like, you know, I think Gonzaga was down 10 and they're like, it's Gonzaga frauds. And I was like, no, they just kind of do this. And then they just find a gear and, Yep. Start rolling. So um, they did it against Georgia State in their opening game. Like right. that went into the half kind of scary. And then they blew it wide open in the second. Right. So, I mean, I'll be interested. I think you can get away with that in the early rounds, but now you better, you better tighten up because you can't be yep. going from 10 down going into the second half against these better teams. Before I toss the mic back over to Steven, because we brought up Mr. Tim, and we might as well knock out one of the, the weekend warriors from Steven as we're talking about this game. But the last thing I think I want to say about Durant, I mean, Chet, we, we've talked about all year about, it, it's not that he has this excessive motor, but I think that he's just so aware of what's going on within the game at all times that he's kind of just determined to make an impact regardless of what's going on. Durant was fascinating because, yes, the, the, motor, the motor was running pretty hot, but something I've noticed the second half of the year all the way through up until now, the, this tournament exit of theirs, his willingness to try things and his willingness to accept failure on the basketball court. Like, he, he's not shy taking those mid-range jumpers anymore. He wants everybody to try and see that that can be a part of his game. And is it a consistent part of his game yet? No. But accepting failure and dealing with the fact that if that's not a staple, you're going to miss some shots and there are going to be times where it doesn't look pretty. I think that's really a big thing for Duran that we've wanted to see. And that kind of ties in with the motor running hot. We just want to see him engaged. We want to see him trying. We want to see him at least attempting to impose his will in multiple different facets of the game, not necessarily just being a, a, a rim running big man. Cause if that's solely what he is, we talk, we, we can talk about his physical attributes but if that's really what he is i don't think that's what anybody's necessarily taking him in the top 10 for we're intrigued with some of the other flashes of skill that we've seen from him and the fact that he's willing to experiment on the court even in a game like this where all the pressure's on him to live up to expectations against somebody like chet and even drew timmy to an extent because timmy's been one of these more dominant players in the postseason like i actually think he he carried himself very well even if the results weren't there and that's why I think Chet had the better performance, but in terms of why I think it's an argument, I liked more of what I saw from Duran from a scouting perspective and what I learned from watching in that point of view more than what I saw from, from Chet on the other end. Um, that was really how I wanted to, to tie the knot on, on that one. Any, any other thoughts on the two bigs, Steven, before you talk about one of your weekend warriors? Uh, no. And if I could just plug some other prospects just real quick, we don't even got to talk in, in depth about him or anything. Dandridge might have had like the, the dunk of the night 
um, putting it up on Chet Holmgren the way he did. I know that that one is going to be used against Chet exclusively when we talk about who should go number one. And, you know, like Tyler said, that's where the overreactions are going to come in. Like, Dandridge is a fine player, but let's calm down. Stop and it. Dale, also, Dale and Terry is your number one pick. Stop it. Stop it. We're, we're going to we're <laughs> gonna park the show for an hour on Dale and Terry. But, um, and I also want to just real quick touch on Amani Bates getting playing time in that game oh, too. Boy. He's not gonna he's not gonna come out this season, but the fact that he's coming back off of an injury which put him out in in July, and now he's coming back and being trusted with tournament minutes, I think that speaks to you know the 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 trust that you know Coach Hardaway has in him. I guess the other name I'm surprised you didn't mention when you talk about you want to mention other guys, Andrew Nempard. I think Andrew Nempard was also a really big winner from this game too. And like I was people, waiting for Rucker to bring him up. That's I mean, my pe- guy. Pe- yeah. people want to try and and talk about these senior point guards who can sometimes go under the radar in terms of like why would I waste a draft pick on on a guy like this in the second round when he's probably going to be there for me to scoop up in the undrafted market i can i can bring him in on an easy two-way contract maybe still pass at some point like these are gonna some of the guys that will be around maybe he's like an exhibit 10 guy or like something like that like these guys are generally around but nemhart shooting not only just six to 12 from the field but also five of ten from three-point range that that's huge and we already know what he brings to the table as 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 a leader as a floor general and, and a passer somebody who can get others involved and make them better like like rucker that's your guy did did he did he show you anything in this game specifically, or you kind of just you, you've known that he was capable of putting a performance like that all along, and it's just people just need to start taking more notice? Yeah, I mean, I, I've said it before. I think it was even with Steven. I, I think he's draftable for sure. Um, you know, you're talking six five. He just turned twenty two. I know he's a senior, but like he's got good size. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to run an offense. Um, you, you can also see that like he has the ability to to get buckets if he needs to. Um, I think if Gonzaga is going to have a shot of getting the national championship, it's going to be because of him. Um, I know everyone's going to talk about Chet and Gonzaga has a number of prospects that next year, I think we're all very high on with Nolan Hickman and Julian Strasser, but um, Nemhart is a gamer. The guy knows how to play. And, and I still believe like in the second round at some point, He's something you'd want to add to the rotation. He, he's a, a guy you want on your roster where he could groom into a really nice piece that gives you good minutes off the bench. So like you're saying, Nathan, I think he's draftable. Um, I would I would definitely draft him at some point in the second round. But, um, you know, this also could be a guy that's targeted as a two-way contract that maybe spends some time in the G League before coming up. Uh, but I really like how Nimhard's been playing all year. I think he doesn't get enough attention or recognition for what he's done for that team. You know, he doesn't have to be a guy that scores 20. He also understands that like some nights I might need to score nine and give out 10 assists for my team to be rolling at at full capacity. So I really like him. And I think he's going to keep buzzing if Gonzaga can keep pushing towards the national title. Um, He's going to be one that could probably make up a lot of ground and, and buzz in draft circles. Well, we are we are those guys who would probably elect to use second round picks based on guys who were pretty confident can produce at an NBA level. Not not necessarily just swinging all for upside in the back end of the second. Like Rucker, you would make an argument for somebody like Andrew Nembhard or even like a Trace Jackson Davis, like in the back right. end of the second round, with some others might not. And I would I would tend to agree with you in that argument. I would rather go get veteran, proven, trusted talent with one of those picks somebody who could ideally contribute to a team 
sooner rather than later who also fill positions of need on very, very cheap contracts at that right. point. You don't have to worry about engaging and then paying them even more money than you would with like that type of a second round pick. So, And that, Maxwell did a really good for. job for uh, for us at the NoSeilingsNBA.com, you know, our website. Maxwell just released an excellent piece on, uh, you know, Andrew Nemhart too. Right. And I think for people who want to listen to any more about, you know, the value of his game and what he could be in the NBA, I'd recommend go reading that article. It was very well put together. So, Drew Timmy, Stephen. Why is he yeah. winning Warriors of the Week? Talk about it. Well, let's see here. Um, opening round against Georgia State, he put together 32, 13, 2, and 1. Against Memphis, he put together 25, 14, and 4. So, I mean, he's he's showing that he's one of these tournament guys that, you know, we can talk about philosophy as to how important these games are. But being honest, whether or not this is how we would evaluate things, a lot of people are getting their first opportunity to watch college basketball around this time of year. And Drew Timmy showing up the way that he is. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we could talk about a guy here in a little bit, too, like Colin Gillespie. Guys who show that they are part of a winning program for multiple years. They have like these intangible qualities about them that just contribute to winning basketball. He's polished. He doesn't play outside of himself. He doesn't get sped up, regardless of if we would even like him to. You know, he he plays within himself. He understands his limitations and capabilities. And the fact that he's putting up these performances against Georgia State obviously isn't like a world beater, but it scared Gonzaga. And I'd be willing to bet that they could have scared any other team if they could do that to Gonzaga. And then against Memphis, you know, everyone made these headlines about how it was going to be Holmgren and how it was going to be Duran. And Timmy said, allow me to reintroduce myself. You know, my name is Drew Timmy. And he came in and did his thing. And the fact that he's showing out the way that he is, you know, Nathan, we've done interviews with guys like uh, Matt Babcock, who said that he would potentially look at a guy like Drew Timmy in the draft, too. So knowing same conversation knowing as Nemhard and like Jackson Davis, like same conversation. Exactly. Exactly. So he's doing everything that he can to propel a, a number one seed to the final four, potentially play for a championship game. That's why he's the warrior of the week, man. He just. Everything that was needed for Gonzaga, he did some and more. So let's move to one of the other exciting games that took place on Saturday. North Carolina and Baylor, actually. I did get to catch a, a really good portion of this game live. I didn't have to go back and necessarily watch anything. And I'm glad that I did catch this one live because it was a phenomenal watch from start to finish. Plenty of excitement, an overtime game. R.J. Davis was obviously the big winner from a performance perspective on North Carolina. We, we, we haven't necessarily prospect. Really, we've looked at Caleb Love being the guard prospect for the Tar Heels. He did not have a standout performance. He fouled out of the game, five points on one for six shooting, 104 from three-point range, two assists, the six turnovers. That is about as horrific of a performance as could as what could happen for a guard like Mr. Love. and. We, Stephen and I will be hosting Coach Adam Spinell over at the Box and One over on this podcast later in the week. So that is a guy who we will be touching on. I cannot wait to get Coach's perspective on, on Mr. Love because sometimes, quite frankly, he drives me a little crazy. Um, I, I don't want to steer too much of the conversation, though, toward his way. I mean, when we're talking about these two matchups right here, we're talking about the Baylor guys, right? In terms yep. of Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan. And... Rucker, I'll start with you because you and I have tried to be on 
the Kendall Brown train for, I think, as long as possible. And I would consider myself still on the train. But in terms of having him over somebody like Sohan, like I'm, I'm basically at my breaking point. Like I, I, I don't think I can do it anymore. Um, I, they, they were so close in my last update. I think I had Kendall Brown 12, the Jer- Jeremy 13, but where Jeremy was consistently active throughout that entire game on both ends of the floor, even if he didn't have a standout shooting performance either, you just never catch Jeremy at a point in the game where you don't notice it. Right. And Kendall right. just disappears throughout the course of the game. And he will have some very standout athletic moments. He will actually make some really good plays on the ball. He's got quick hands. He forced three steals the other day. And then offensively, we know about what he brings as a cutter, as a transition finisher. Some of the jump shot stuff, I think, still has some room for improvement, but I think it it will be there for him in time. But it's just not consistent. And I bring this up as like a guy that some of you guys have brought up as somebody you like, like Wendell Moore, for example, at Duke, who we'll probably talk about a little later in this podcast like one of my guards with him is that i will watch games and some of the box store stats will be there but like i don't always feel his impact from game to game or at least it doesn't feel like that to me right well kendall brown's even worse than that because he doesn't even sometimes have the numbers to to back up an argument like that so where rucker what did you see from both of those guys on, on saturday and where are you kind of at on them right now as prospects this is why I love you so much because I can just be having a Monday of all Mondays and you literally like, this is exactly what I was going to want to talk about with those two guys. So I thank Born you. the train, you just, baby. Born just, the train. It was better than a cup of coffee. So thank you. I really needed that. No, I'm right there. Completely 110%. Like that's been bugging me literally the last 24 hours because I, that's something that's really important to me when I'm scouting guys. Um, if you disappear, I'm going to have a problem with you. Um, if I can watch five to 10 minutes and you're on the court and I, in the middle of that go, Oh my gosh, he's on the court. Like that's bad. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying you have to be scoring or you have to be, you know, making all these highlight plays, but I need to know your impact. I need to feel you. That's why I love Chet Holmgren. Cause you, you're constantly like, not just because he's so tall he's and always, lanky, he's, he's all moving. over the place. He's always moving. He's always doing something. And, and that stands out. Kendall has been someone that I've been very high on all year. Um, I really like his game. I really like the upside. But the longer the year's gone on, the more you're starting to see there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think it's just a confidence thing. Um, you know, like we we said about this earlier in the year, Nathan, me and you, and I've said it with Metcalf on the No Ceilings pod, like you can definitely tell the outside shot he's not confident with. It looks fine, but it, it, there's just hesitation to even take it. Sohan watching the, that game, like, I feel his impact. I feel he's moving around. I feel he's doing a lot of good things. So, you know, I had Kendall 15th on my last big board. Um, I had Sohan 17th. I'm, they're probably swapped right now. Um, and, and I'm starting to understand the buzz with everyone about Sohan. I really like his game. I think there's some really promising um, tools to kind of come together down the road. Like if he goes to a right team, I'm going to be very excited for that. And he's just what I want Kendall to be. Like Sohan is at least confident with everything he's doing on the court. If he makes a mistake, he's at least confident and, and going balls to the wall. Kendall, there's just still some hesitancy where like, I don't know if he really knows 
all he can do yet, if that makes sense. Like, I think he, he understands like, okay, like I have this freakish athleticism, but I still have to figure out what I, what I can do with it. So he still has a massive ceiling. Like I, yes, I, I think sometimes so that gets lost in the conversation. Yeah. Like he has the ceiling. It's just, I agree with you what it's going to take to actually reach it. There's a lot of work that's going to have to be done and maybe not as much as what needs to be done with Sohan for him to reach his potential. Right. And, and, when we talk about guys like this, it's not like I'm downplaying Kendall. I still love him. I'm just saying he might need to go later to a team that doesn't need him to contribute right away in like an expanded role. He might need a team that's like, Hey, we want you to come in, give us energy with rebounding and and making the extra pass while everything kind of develops over the years. So hand might be doing a little bit more because of his defensive ability and you know playmaking and stuff like that with the outside shot coming along so um you know just watching those games like kendall had a couple lapses where i was like damn i I forgot kendall's on the floor and and i mean it's hard when he has that gigantic flock of hair but um i i'm i'm like you I'm, i'm really starting to i think it's finally getting to that point where i'm gonna flip those two and i never really Thought it was going to happen, but I think watching these games again um, with what I've watched of Sohan lately, like with my recent film dive, I'm doing a little bit more on him. Like I really am becoming a fan. Steven, the thing, the thing that impressed me the most, the one play that made me walk away and go, all right, I, I think I really need to reconsider this and then change things around was when RJ Davis had Jeremy Sohan at, at the top of the arc to try and, and and ultimately close out a game, right? And so Han's kind of left on an island by himself in a normal circumstance in the tournament. We're not talking about regular season. We're talking about big things are on the line, NCAA tournament. If an experienced guard like R.J. Davis gets you on an island, gets a freshman on an island in that situation, generally you're like, you're clapping. You're like, beautiful. Like, this is exactly what we want. But... Jeremy Sohan, you're not saying that about him. Like, that dude is ready for the moment, and he's fully willing to live up to it defensively. He will guard anyone, everybody, and at any time. And the fact that we can't look at Jeremy Sohan the way we would normally look at a lot of other freshmen on defense in that situation, I think that should be the play that should really speak volumes to everybody. Yeah, and the thing that speaks out to me about Sohan is something that Tyler just touched on in his breakdown is that He's not afraid to mess up, and I think that that speaks to the confidence that he has in his abilities. Like The things that we love about Kendall Brown is that the thing that I constantly say about him is that he has to try harder to stay on the ground than he has to, you know, than it does for him to be able to jump. Sohan does, isn't gifted like that, but that he understands and he knows how to play with, you know, kind of under-controlled pace, and he knows what his next move is going to be, and that's the thing that I think Kendall... Yeah still needs to figure out is what happens next. Like, okay, I have this great sudden burst, but he doesn't know what his next move is going to be. Sohan understands how to use counters to his ability too and take people off of the bounce a little bit. And that's what I think is going to help him translate a little bit more, you know, successfully at the next level is that he's not just going to be a guy that potentially works on a pick and pop, or maybe he is just a good cutting for the fact that he can make plays out of a short role, I think, is going to help him tremendously. And that's not something that I can confidently say about a guy like Kendall Brown right now, who projects as kind of like a 3-4, depending on the system or what have you. I am I trust Jeremy Sohan a lot more right now. 
And I think just by watching them play, you would assume that Jeremy Sohan is so much more, you know, he's older, he's in a, he's in a higher class, but they're both freshmen. And if you just watch the way that these two young guys and play. And they're both young, by the way. They're both two of the exactly. youngest players in the draft class. But Sohan plays with so much more maturity and composure and poise. And he's there's no moment that he looks at that he's afraid of. And that's something that an NBA team is going to look at. But again, if you look at the pecking order of the way this Baylor team is drawn out, that's what I think people, it can kind of hamper people's evaluation of a Kendall Brown because there's so many other players that the, that their coach is going to ask to put the ball in their hands and ask to do more. Maybe that has to do with the talent level or the capabilities of a Kendall Brown. But also you can't knock that, you know, Kenjo's on this team. Matthew Meyer is a senior and he does a lot of things off the bounce. Obviously, Jeremy Sohan is asked to do a lot as well. Flagler, like, there's a whole slew of people that are asked to create. And that hasn't been something that's been a focal point of building, you know, the uh, the repertoire of a Kendall Brown. And maybe when he gets to the NBA, that's something that if he goes to the right team, like maybe in Orlando, in Oklahoma City, in Detroit, like a team that has talent but kind of lower media reach, uh, a, play, a place where he can kind of safely grow, maybe that's something that a team can look at to develop with him because he's not getting it at Baylor right now. So just, just, to, just to close on this point before we move on to the next game, Stephen, I, I used to use that argument as a little bit of a crutch for Kendall Brown. Like this is a team that's built very similarly to the Baylor team that was last year. It's built around three higher volume guards. You still have Matt Meyer who's going to get his shots up and then – at some point, there, there's there's going to be room where the bigs have to be fed as well. Like Flo Thamba, when Jonathan Jamachacho was playing, yep. like those guys are going to get offensive boards. They're going to get their shot attempts as well. So how much room is there for somebody like Kendall Brown to get like more than five, six, seven shot attempts per game? Well, that argument falls flat on deaf ears when Jeremy Sohan gets up 14 shots per game or 14 Off shots of the bench. game. Off, off the bench, and Kendall Brown only yeah. got up seven. So that's that's really where that argument falls apart. And I can't, I can't. He's trying to advocate for Kendall because we all love him. Just trying to trying to poke holes in into whatever I can find right now because I, we do. We all want him to succeed, and I, there might be a little bit of validity to that. But just grasp it, grasping at whatever straws I can find right now, Nathan. I, I I still think that like if we're talking pure upside, Kendall Brown could have like top six upside in sure. this draft class. Like that's not unreasonable, but. It's going to take a lot to to get him there, and maybe maybe that's just not baked into his DNA. I hate to have that conversation about some prospects, but it's also a true thing that happens behind closed doors. The whole point of Draft Deeper is to try and enlighten the community about what these conversations actually look like. And there will, there are people that are going to say, well, does he want more responsibility within the offense? Does he want to be taking more shots within the offense? Or is he comfortable just standing by, and, and when things are going well, it's great? You know, what what kind of player is he in, in that regard? And if he doesn't want more responsibility, more opportunity, more shots to improve his game, how much better is he actually going to get? Is he going to live up to that potential that, that he has? Um, so I think he, he should want to grow up to be just like Robert Covington in the league right now. Like, that's the poster that you want in his room, in his dorm room right now is at least floor level, right? Like, you would like to see him contribute on that level with the the ceiling to be whoever the heck he wants to be. Well, you know what? Robert Covington became a sniper from three-point range, so that that'd be that'd be a pretty good role model for him. He if he could really become that that 37, 38% three-point shooter consistent, I think it would open up a lot more doors for him um than, than are open right now. But 
Let's move to the last game that we would talk about that happened on Saturday, Michigan against Tennessee. So this was on the Michigan side of things. This was not one of the bright spots for, for Caleb Houston kind of took a little bit of a dive compared to what he was doing um, in, in the, the end of the big 10 season. And then in, in the first few games, Musa Diabate, I think had a very strong game as a supporting man in the front court, along with Hunter Dickinson, who clearly stole the show from tip off through all the way through to the end on the Tennessee side. There have been a lot of mixed opinions about Kennedy Chandler. I've thrown a lot of those mixed opinions out there in the open, including on this podcast, as well as in written form in terms of, I haven't had him ranked as a first round prospect for quite a while because of some of the things I've seen in terms of him being able to create oversize and being able to shoot oversize. Well, Chandler had 19 points, nine assists, nine of 19 shooting from the floor, one of three from three-point range. But in this game in particular, a lot of the matchups that he had offensively when he was the mid-range killer, he had more favorable matchups when we're talking about size-to-size comparison, right? He wasn't in a situation where he was playing a team like Arizona that is the land of giants, and he tried to create over everybody, and he threw up a stinker, just like he did exactly against that team earlier in the year. So where I do think some of my questions are absolutely valid, he has had some performances this year, including leading his Tennessee team to a three seed, winning the SEC tournament as a freshman point guard. That is not something you see from somebody his age every single day. And when you try to compare him to some of the other point guards we have in this class, like Ty Ty played on the number two seed Kentucky, but I think he had more expected talent around him in terms of like expectations on the other guys on the team. J.D. Davison, there's no way he could have done this year what Kennedy Chandler has done. We all have questions about Jan Montero, and we might like some of his upside, but he's playing. he was playing in the overtime elite league against primarily high schoolers, so the jury's still out there. Like What Kennedy Chandler has done being the leader on a veteran squad filled with a lot of upperclassmen, that – it stands out to me and it really sticks with me. And I think on that reason alone, the fact that I'm so comfortable with the idea that he could be a backup point guard in the league for like however many years at a bare minimum with spot starter, even starter upside. I really feel like towards the end here, he's climbed back into the first round conversation for me, not saying he's going to like meteorically rise up my board, but I think I've gotten to the point. I kind of have to bring him back in. So Steven, we're, where are you kind of at on, on Kennedy Chandler and, and and what did you see from him that impressed you in this game? Yeah, he was a guy that, you know, at the beginning of the year, Nathan, you'll remember, he was a guy that I was advocating to be PG one. And ultimately that just kind of fell. So was I. The, yeah. And then we ultimately ended up agreeing that it was Ty Ty Washington. And again, this isn't counting the whole, you know, Jay Nivey potential down the line thing, sure. but he just, it's fascinating to me, Nathan, that a guy who, came in was like initially compared to Chris Paul. Like there were, there were graphics on ESPN games with Tennessee saying, is this the next Chris Paul for him to just go throughout the season and not play great. But then Tennessee just immediately began to rise in front of everybody, but no one really said anything about it for him to improve his jump shooting, which happened before our eyes and no one said anything about it until we come to the tournament time and we're breaking down these matchups and we're analyzing 
you know, who do we need to watch for as far as prospects go? We look up and we see, okay, yeah, like Kennedy Chandler is a really good point guard um, right now as a freshman at Tennessee. So that stuck out to me. And then his fingerprints were all over this game. Like Tennessee doesn't yeah. stand a chance if Kennedy Chandler is not playing uh, at the level that he was. Uh, you know, the, the the passing was there. I think the assists were even an understatement as to how well he was moving the basketball. It really he, only but, fell apart, like, at the very end, right? Like, yeah. like it was an eight-point difference. But if you actually watch the game, like, that that margin was created very late. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a typical, typical college basketball game where, like, the last two minutes were like, okay, we have a deficit, we got a foul. And, like, that's where, you know, the margin of victory tends to expand a little bit. But, you know, the passing was there. The shooting was present. The defense has kind of quietly always been there with him. I, I like his suddenness and quickness as a as an undersized point guard. But you know, he he just stood out to me, man. Like he plays with pace. He doesn't feel hurried. And I just like you. I think that he could potentially have like an Ish Smith type career at worst, where he's like this bursty guard who can do a lot of good things and start for some teams, be a tremendous backup point guard on others, and. You know, again, the sky's the limit on how good this guy can actually be whenever he lands in the NBA. Rucker, any any thoughts on on anybody else in this game? Did any, anything else catch your eye in this one? No, I, I mean, I really want to praise Kennedy because I think, you know, everyone's getting a little scared of him being a little undersized. I understand that, but I'm like you guys. I, I think at the end of the day, he's going to end up a first-round pick. Um, what he's done lately... I still love how he plays the game. I think if you understand how to get to your spots and play with pace and, and play smart basketball and you can hit the outside shot, you can hide a little bit of those, you know, concerns about your measurables and stuff. And, and I just really think at worst, Kennedy's going to be a heck of a, you know, backup change of pace guard. Um, like you're saying, Nathan, with the potential to be kind of a spot starter. Um you know, he's averaging 15, three, five, and two while shooting 50% and from the field and 52% from three over his last five games. Um, if you even go look further than that, like his last 10, last 13 games, he's been around that consistency. So he's been outstanding for Tennessee. And, and I really do think like that game was a good statement of like how Kennedy Chandler can impact a game without, you know, having to score 30 points. and. and Maybe we're just wanting him to be this superstar that he might not have that ceiling, but he also might have a higher floor than I think some of us might think. So um, I'm a fan of Kennedy Chandler. I, I still believe um, I'm not saying he's going to be one of the best point guards or players in the class, but I do think like he could carve out a role in the NBA for a really long time. I, to, to kind of close out before we move to the next game, like I get scared a little bit watching some of these other point guard prospects that we can look at in this class. And while I do have some concerns about Kennedy, kind of like what we talked about, I'm not scared when, when I flip on and, and, and watch his film, right? Like I still see a very confident, very cerebral basketball player that I don't get that same impression from either of the other two guys that we could throw in this conversation. Like if you're asking me if I'm, if I'm a team end of the first round, I have a point guard spot that needs to be filled on my team. Who would I be looking at? Like, I would be I would be absolutely scared to take JD Davison in the back end of the first round right now. Not saying that JD Davison couldn't end up being a better player. He technically has a higher ceiling given some of his physical attributes, his length, his defensive potential. Although Kennedy's a, a damn good guard defender in, in his own right, but 
it's it's potential versus proven production as well as the leadership qualities. So where I would just be scared to make a bet on somebody else, I'm not scared to make a bet on Kennedy Chandler. I think I think that definitely has to outweigh and and, and ultimately carry some of the decision making that will likely happen at the end of the first round because we may not project both of those guys or even all three of them when you throw Montero into it into the first round. There's also a world that, and we've had some of these discussions in, in some of our own meetings where we're like, look, teams are going to be looking at these guys in the back end of the first round. And, and at least one of them, if not all of them are probably going to go in that range, no matter what we think and what our draft philosophies are. So I'm just speaking like, if that's something that's going to happen at that point in the draft, Chandler would, would be my guy. And, and I think he's absolutely deserved praise like that. Any, any other thoughts from you guys? Yeah, no, I, got, I do actually have one um, for everyone that always gets scared of undersized guards. I, I understand the game has changed over the years, but um, a combined 27 years in the NBA, two guys under five, seven played by the name of Earl Boykins <laughs> and Muggsy Bogues. So can we please calm down on everyone needing to be six, five for a point guard? Like if you can play, they'll figure it out. So you I'm, got guys I'm like Smith, TJ yeah, McConnell, Trey Young, Chris Thank Paul. You. Like I could keep going, but you know. Well, and Kennedy plays defense. Yes, like, he does. Yeah, He's got Kennedy pop, man. De- yeah, if Kennedy didn't play defense and couldn't shoot, like yeah, I'd be selling. But he's he's a grinder. He'll stick. He'll be fine. And mm-hmm. um, I'm a believer. I root for the little guys. So shout out, right, Earl Boykin. Let let's let's get into the mean potatoes of the weekend slate because where I was not quite as excited for a lot of the Saturday games. You flip over the Sunday slate, it, it's like a whole different animal. And yeah. the game that we can start with was Michigan State and Duke. That was the primetime 515 game on CBS. Didn't quite tip at 515, but none of the tournament games do. We got to have a little, little studio analysis in there in between games, right? Break it up. This was same, same story, a, a pretty close game throughout. I really thought Michigan State had a great chance to walk away with the upset here. I was even thinking that we we talked about our bracket picks when we were making them, and I was like, man, Michigan State, they could get them. They can move on to the Sweet 16. This could be a real place for, for Duke to kind of shit the bed here a little bit. And it, it, it looks scary at times, but for all that we've talked negatively about Paolo Bencaro for a little bit now, man, he has, he has stepped up in this tournament. He has... He has looked like a different player offensively, not not defensively. I I I would still love for him to clean up some of the defensive mistakes, but offensively, offensively, he's been much more focused on getting his own inside the arc. Even that, I think that post fadeaway that everybody clipped and, and put on social media this weekend was absolutely beautiful. Those are the types of things that I think Bencaro needed to do more of all along, and now that we're starting to see it. The, the, the package is starting to come around for me. Like, may have been a tad bit overblown about Paolo Bencaro. Rucker, where, where do you kind of stand on Mr. Bencaro after this weekend? And what what else kind of stood out to you in this in this Duke-Michigan State game? You know, I, I kind of talked about this earlier, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I had this weird vibe that Paolo was going to kind of get another gear going into the tournament. I thought like with all the bright lights on him, he might be walking with a little pep in his step and he's been great. He's been really, really impressive lately. Um, the playmaking has really stood out to me. Um, you're, you're not only just seeing him be more efficient and, and 
put up some good numbers shooting the ball, but I, I think he's making some great reads when it comes yeah. to moving the ball, finding guys like across floor, you know, just, just playing really good right now. And, and I do believe, you know, some guys we're probably going to talk about later um, are no longer playing in this tournament. Paulo's got a big opportunity to create a little bit more buzz now and, and start kind of giving a little nudge to people like, Hey, remember how I was playing the beginning of the year? Like, you know, now I'm coming back into it. Like, don't forget about me. So I'm excited to watch him. Um, he made some great plays down the stretch. He had a big block. Um, the next game is going to be very telling, I think, for Paulo and for Duke. Um, they're going up against a tough Texas Tech defense that I think is going to have a couple days to prep a little, you know, they're, they're going to throw the kitchen sink and everything at him. So I'm going to be really interested to see how he holds up in that game and if he can keep putting up this type of production. I mean, his last eight games, he's having... 18.6 points, 6.3 rebounds, 4.6 assists with shooting splits of 53.6 and 40% from three. So, I mean, when that three-point shot, he's cooking right now. And when that three-point yep. shot's coming around, like, totally different player. But that fadeaway you're talking about um, was beautiful. And you're just also seeing, like, now they're starting to make some plays down the stretch that beginning of the year, they were losing all these tough games. They just had a great final couple minutes against Michigan State with, you know, that Jeremy Roach three was huge. So, um, yeah, Paul is heating up my board too. But the defense, that's for another day. We'll talk about it some other time. He had, he had a few drives to the basket where he kind of set his man up, and then he, all of a sudden he hits him with this slick underhand dime like he's Patrick Mahomes on the football field, throw, throwing the ball out to Mark Williams for the easy flush. And, yeah, he had he had the five turnovers, and I think more of that was not necessarily from the passing side. I mean, we've talked about some concerns with his handle and him driving in the traffic, trying to do a little too much. I think those concerns will still bear themselves out at least early on in his NBA career. But yeah, regular the passing, the passing in particular has been terrific from Paolo for about two weeks now. He's right. really stepped up and has started to throw more of it in there. You didn't you didn't talk about your boy Mark Williams? How about Mark no, I, Williams? I I don't want the show to go four hours. <laughs> 15 points, eight rebounds, seven stocks. Like, Steven, talk to me. Who else Who else impressed you in this one? Well, I was going to touch on Mark Williams if nobody okay, else did. There you go. And, I, and I appreciate the restraint that, that we're witnessing from Rucker. Like, he's a better man than me. But I don't have that type of restraint. The guy that I want to gush on right now is Wendell Moore. And, Nathan, oh, boy. I'm – I've, I'm so sorry for you that you watch these games of Duke and you don't walk away with being like, what impact does Wendell Moore Jr. make? Because he just makes winning plays. When the game is breaking down, when Duke needs a steady hand, he's the guy. He's hitting clutch free throws. He's hitting clutch three-pointers. He's making beautiful reads. He rebounds well for his position. He runs the floor. He's not afraid to defend whoever is lined up from across from him. So I think that Wendell Moore is kind of the unsung hero on this team. And I think that he is worthy of first round consideration because he, he can play minutes at, at pretty much any perimeter oriented position. You trust him from the three point line. You trust him to make the right passes. You trust him as a defender. He just doesn't make mistakes. And I think that maybe there's a little bit of concern with what he was supposed to be and where he is now. And I was talking about this with Raphael is that even though that he's like a junior, he's like still only 20 years old. Like he's right there in terms of age as some of these freshmen that were gushing praise on, right? So if I have someone who is on the same, you know, 
we can use fancy terms here, you know, that upward trajectory or like the age, you know, where how the production is supposed to correlate with the age. He's already producing. He's already seen, has more experience, but he's the same age as some of these younger guys. I think that that speaks to how easily he can contribute to the next level. He stood out to me in this game. And I would be remiss if we didn't also touch on, you know, the AJ Griffin, that the scary ankle tweak that he had in that game. I was like, oh no. And we saw how quick the commentary was. We're trying to be positive here, Steven. We're trying to be positive. I'm sorry. It's important. It's important, right? And the commentary was not trying to be positive at all because as soon as he fell, they were like, oh yeah, we know that he has a long list of injuries. So I'm just curious as to how that impacts his stock. It's it's a storyline. Yep. And then Trevor Kills quietly had a decent game as well, right? So again, Rucker is is showing a lot of restraint, but I got your back, bro. I'll I'll bring up the guys that you... uh, I have my time. I have plenty of time. There you go. There you go. No, but but go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know who you didn't mention? Gabe Brown on the Michigan State side. That's who you didn't mention. My boy. Bro, was that Kevin Durant out there in that game? I mean, that... Listen, I've been on I've been on Gay Brown Island since like December. I still think he he might not make a lot of top sixty rankings. I still think he's going to find a way to stick in the NBA. I think this guy's going to be a pro for quite a while. He's an experienced six six wing slash forward. Can defend multiple positions. He can make plays on the ball when the jumpers fallen like it did yesterday. Which that's not the only game he's had this year where the jumpers fallen. He's actually been a more consistent shooter over his career than you would think. This is the type of guy that NBA teams will want to bring in and how competitive he was yesterday, the energy him clapping his hands, getting up in everybody's face like that. That's the type of player that I want on my team. So I'm, I'm going to drive that game Brown bus until the wheels fall off, baby. Go, go ahead, Rucker. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no. I, I actually like Gabe Brown a lot too. I, I think you're spot on with that. That's the guy that I'll be kind of monitoring because wouldn't shock me if someone's a believer or, and it wouldn't shock me if that's a guy that goes to summer league and goes crazy. Um, I, I'm yep. a fan from what I've seen of him in a couple of games this year. Like it's one of those guys out on my list of the, the deep film dives that I'm, I'm making sure to watch Gabe Brown this year, because I feel like I could get very intrigued on him um, as the pre-draft process goes on. But um, no, I, I really do like Wendell Moore. Um, I think Steven's right on the, the more I watch him, the more, that is a wing that every playoff team is going to want to draft, um, especially like near the end of the first round, um, because I think it's just a guy that can do a lot of stuff. Um, he can make an impact in a number of different ways. Like if he, if he was a freshman and putting up these numbers, we'd be freaking out about Wendell Moore. But, you know, he's just clicked different time. Um, and, and he's still young for a junior. I think the the leaps he's taken as a shooter this year are really remarkable. And now you're kind of seeing a, a confident player that feels like he can make an impact all over on both sides of the floor. So um, I'm right there with Steven. I, I really do like Wendell Moore. I think that's probably going to be the Duke prospect that doesn't get enough attention, um, you know, in the next coming months, but he he's, he's an important piece for that team. If they're going to make a run. We'll move on. And go very quickly through Iowa State and Wisconsin. I don't think we have to say a ton about this game because it was an ugly, ugly basketball game, uh, unfortunately. Um, Tyrese Hunter over on the Iowa State side feel like I I put out that very positive tweet about him, similarly to what I've put out throughout the year. And he returned that tweet right back to sender with the performance he put up, one for 10 from the field, over through the three-point range. Did not stand out. 
in that game in the slightest. He looks good with what he does when he puts on a microwave type of performance like he did the other night. I still think he's got a lot of room to to make a sophomore leap next year and really, really skyrocket up people's boards. He has so much talent, especially when you go see him live. On the Wisconsin side, the big name is obviously Johnny Davis. Mm-hmm. Four for 16 from the field. 0 of 7 for three-point range. Was 9 for 11 from the free throw line. 17 points, 9 rebounds. Six stocks, two steals, four blocks, was very active on the defensive end, but offensively, I know a lot of people are bringing up the questions of how good is this guy offensively? What can he actually handle? What's it going to look like when he gets to the NBA? Guys, I can't think of a player who we're going to be talking about in top 10 consideration who has had to do more for his team over the course of the year than Johnny Davis. When you factor in some of the injuries – just the workload in general, like the the wheels were bound to fall off the wagon at some point. And it's unfortunate that it happened as early as it did in the NCAA tournament. We would have loved to see a matchup like a, like a Wisconsin and Auburn, for example. We'll get to that upset in a second. But it didn't happen. And I still think Johnny Davis has had a spectacular year. I still would claim him as one of, quote unquote, my guys in this draft cycle. Maybe I won't have him over a certain number of names that I – maybe once did like two or three weeks ago, but I still think he's going to be a really, really good pro who still has star upside. I still see that from Johnny Davis, despite some of the things that, that we've seen. Steven, what, what what do you think about Johnny Davis? Any parting thoughts as we close out the season on him? I just, I feel so, I'm not going to say I feel bad for him because he played his, he played his way into being a top 10 level talent and he's going to make a lot of money in the NBA. But what I will say that I feel bad for him for is, how much he has to do. And we talk about this with football players, but playing through injury, like hurting his ankle in one game, not, and you can, you can take this comment however you want. I mean it with all due respect to anybody else who chooses to do it differently, but he could have easily just said, I'm done for the year. I have too much money on the line. I'm going to be a top 10 level talent. And thank you, you know, Wisconsin basketball for everything that you've done for me. He could have hung it up, but he played through it. To me, like, that's the type of dude that you want on your team, right? Like, not to get all mushy-gushy or like Tim Tebow with the guy, but it is hard to root against a guy like that. When you see guys out there um, who are on his team basically because they're tall. Like, his front court players did not do him any favors that game. And I understand that they're... that. You know, like guys like Crow, like they're they're talented at basketball, but they're they're good college basketball players. They're good college basketball players, but with Johnny Davis is like having to literally do everything when he's their best rim protector, when he's their best rebounder, and the second best player on the team is Brad Davis, and he looks like he's a, in a Bruce Willis movie, just getting punched all day long. You know, he's like that's your second best player is a guy who is just getting ran over by. I have never seen a guard fall like, so much on the ground. It's 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 ridiculous. But he was Captain America, you know. He just every time he'd get up and have his hands up, like I can do this all day long. Like that was his second best player, and it's not like he was making actually like productive plays. He was making winning sacrificial plays where you look at it at a college level and you would like to see that of maybe like your third or your fourth best player. But he has no sidekick. It was very apparent in that Iowa State game. That's why I feel bad for Johnny Davis because he's playing through injury. He's sacrificing everything. The Wisconsin roster really didn't do him any favors. Like he could have had way more assists, but I think I've seen, I saw like 12 bricks come off of beautiful passes by him. And I just, 
I'm looking forward to seeing what he looks like as a pro. Rucker, any any parting thoughts on Johnny Davis before Metcalf makes you still talk about him 50 million times over on the No Ceilings podcast? Yeah, um, I, I'm not worried about like his shooting struggles lately. Um, I'm like Steven. I think he was a little banged up and then literally got hurt the same ankle again. So like uh-huh. he's probably just in a torture chamber mentally. I will say I came away really impressed with Johnny Davis watching him over the tournament. Um, defensively i was not expecting what i saw and it 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 got me really like whoa okay i need to really dive into this because i there was some plays i think it was against colgate that they were struggling you know how close that game was down the stretch and and he was struggling to get a shot to fall but it was like every time he missed a shot he just turned it up another level on the defensive Mm -hmm. side of the ball and i was just like man like competitor the way he was guarding guys he was just smothering them like and i was like okay there's something even more impressive with johnny davis compared to what he's been doing on the offensive side of the ball this year so i'm really excited to kind of dive into that because there was some stuff i saw that i was like my goodness i didn't know you had that um i i'd seen flashes of it but he really locked in and really showed me that like you know if he cleans up a little bit of those fundamentals and some bad habits he might be a a nasty two-way player when we're thinking this guy could be a, an offensive force. So, um, no, I'm not worried about Johnny at all. I, I, I think he's going to be a hell of a basketball player at the next level and cannot wait to see what he does with some better talent around him. Sorry, Wisconsin fans. <laughs> Rucker, this this next game, this next question, absolutely. This is right up your alley. This is This is philosophy. Yes. This is, this, is, this is teaching all the young bucks out there how to scout the tournament. This is everything we want every, everything we want to see and, and hear from Mr. Rucker right here. Yeah. Jabari Smith, speaking of stinkers, three for 16 from the field, one for eight from three-point range. He did have 15 rebounds, four assists, and three blocks. So it's not like he did nothing over the course of the game, but from a shooting and scoring perspective, when his team needed him to put the ball in the basket, now more than ever, the number one skill that he will be projected at bringing to the table in the NBA, he he failed on the biggest stage that he's had all year up to this point. It's the tournament. We get it. He got a lot of exposure. He's sitting at home now. There are going to be a lot of people that have questions. How much should we read into this performance? If this is how it's going to be in the NBA, he's going to have nights like this. Should he go over somebody like Chet or even another guy like Paolo, who you brought up, is still playing in the tournament? who can still build a resume, calm everybody down, Rucker, do what you do best, talk about the overreactions and why we should not have them because it's just a tournament. Yeah, this is something that happens every year. Um, One of the top prospects playing on one of the top teams gets eliminated early, and now we're not going to see him for a while. and with this draft class, it's, you know, something that a lot of people have thought was even a, a three-headed or four-headed monster now with Jaden Ivey kind of getting into the mix. Ivy's going to be playing. Um, Chet's going to be playing. Paul's going to be playing. Jabari Smith's at home. So yep. we're not going to be watching him, and we're not going to be buzzing about him. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be – the last thing they saw was this terrible Jabari Smith game. And, and we're going to be like, oh, man, like, that was a bad performance, but it's like, well, what did he do the rest of the year? Like, remember <laughs> what he did. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's important when you watch that game, it's like, 
what type of shots was he taking? Were they good shots? Did he just have a bad shooting night? And, and it happens. And you're still yep. saying like, he couldn't get anything to go, but he's still impacted on the boards. Like what else did he do in that game? And, and I think this is the scary part of the year for some people that are trying to be, you know, basketball fans, NBA fans, you, you see the bad game and you're like, Oh boy, I don't know. And it's like, well, Jabari has been doing damage all year. Like he's been absolutely unbelievable. Bad games happen. Bad games happen with the best players in the NBA. Like, Sorry, Nathan, your boy Joel Embiid's not – he can have a bad game. Like, the, the guy can go five for 20 from the field. Can I just have happens. one year where he shoots over 50% from the field? Like, just just one, Joel. Like, may, but, can it can it finally be this year that – but go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying, like, it happened – like, you know, Jason Tatum's been unbelievable. I know the Jason Tatum game's coming soon where he's five for 25 from the field. Like, it just happens with any basketball player on any night. So, Jabari had a bad game. They got upset. They got blown out. Don't just focus on that. Go back and watch everything. And um, I'm hoping people don't overreact if, you know, because it's going to happen. If, if Paulo and Duke win against Texas Tech, everyone's going to be like, oh, Paulo, he should be the number one pick. And it's like, well, what, are we just doing this off of two games or did you watch the entire season? So, um, yeah, that's just my – that's my scare for the next couple of weeks is – uh Chet and Paulo keep moving on, and everyone's like, well, Jabari had that one game that he kind of sucked. And it's like, yeah, you're right. But he also might be a better player. So that's all I got to say. Speaking of potential overreactions, I mean, hell, we're, we're talking to a guy who still has Jabari Smith, number one yeah. overall, on his big yeah. board. Are you, you, you shivering in your boots over there a little bit, Steven? Like, what, what, what went through your head when you, when you saw some of the game? Uh, you know... Rucker and I, we did shows on this. I think, you know, he did one when I was still doing draft Kaplan and then we talked about it on another show. And it's just like, you have to remind yourself so much. You got to be like Bart Simpson in the Simpsons and write it on the chalkboard over and over. I will not react to overreact to March madness. I will not overreact to March madness, but we still do it anyway. And I think that that's what we're saying. And if we're going to play this game where this Miami Auburn matchup is, paramount like this means so much does that mean that everybody is going to be drafting isaiah wong in the first round like if we're gonna if we're gonna pull the string we're gonna play at this game if this game means that much then we need to really reevaluate where we have players because you can make the argument that isaiah wong showed up against one of the best prospects and he won the matchup and maybe we're undervaluing him and, and things like that or mcgusty you know another player who's kind of made noise as of late have been spectacular not shooters yep. but two of the best scores, scores. In the country. exactly right so if you look at the acc tournament and if you look at the you know the ncaa tournament we have to we have to temper our our reactions and even me and we're going to talk about a game where i failed to temper my reaction and i'm okay with that but um i'm saving you know, the best for last i know I, I so can't wait but jabari smith jr I think anyone, including myself, who has a number one overall, isn't basing it solely on what he is today, even after this loss, even before the loss, is what he's going to be down the line. And if you go and you've watched him in warm-ups, like I've had the great fortune to do when he had a, a bad game against South Carolina that no one really wants to talk about, right? It, it's happened before, especially with the shooter. Shooters are going to have good or bad shooting performances, but... You have to look harder, right? You got to be like Mufasa or Rafiki and look harder, right? Like you have to make sure that 
today isn't your end game and where you're evaluating prospects because maybe that is where Paulo Boncaro gets taken number one overall. Like he could be rookie of the year, but when he's 25 to 27 years old, like who's going to be the better prospect? And that's where you have to start looking for guys like Jabari Smith Jr. And remember, and remember that one game isn't everything. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, and when actually, you know, breaking down some of the film from that game, like some of the shots that Jabari Smith had to take, like mm-hmm. the, those very deep handoffs from well beyond the three-point line that this team kind of expects to go in, you know, getting towards the end of the game because they, they just need shots to go up. They just need to put points on the board, like, that's the type of diet you're going to live on in terms of shots taken. Like you're not going to make a lot of those shots. The outcome's probably not going to be good. And you look at some of the other looks he had inside the arc, guess what? More contested jump shots. And he has actually made a lot of those on the year. That's been a strength of his. That's why he's being viewed so highly as potentially top number one or top number two overall player. Like, but at the same time, if that's the diet you're living on, eventually those shots are not going to fall. And if you're going to take a player because of his makes, you also have to live with the misses. So I don't think just breaking down the film, that game should have changed your opinion in the slightest on Jabari Smith. If you've actually done your homework on him and you've watched all year long. I didn't, I didn't see anything different in that game than what I've seen all year, other than the ball just didn't happen to go in the basket. That that's it. Um, and that, that can be talked about with with a number of prospects. See, see Jaden Hardy, who Steven and I will be talking about with, which coach spins and can't wait. <laughs> another shout out for, for that podcast. Oh gosh, I can't wait for that. Shout out spins. Please tell these boys what they need to know. Oh, I am. I am fine. You don't got to convince me. I'll say that. I'm, I'm on Hardy me. Island. I have not sold anything. If anybody also didn't uh, see the latest uh, podcast that Corey and Albert did with Rashad Phillips talking about Jane. Yes. Hardy too, yes. Go, 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 go listen to that and go watch that podcast if, if you have it as well. Get get back on the Jane Hardy train, folks. That's all that's all we're gonna say. Um second to last game we're gonna talk about tonight, Ohio State and Villanova. Ohio State lost the game to a better Villanova team. It was a great game all throughout. Colin Gillespie, he gets his flowers. We know he's gonna be an NBA player. He probably won't be drafted, but or maybe he will. I don't know. Some team's definitely going to give him an opportunity, right? He, he's going to find his way in the league. He's going to be able to earn a, earn a spot. And If Villanova he, keeps winning, there's going to be an owner that says, I don't care who we like in the second round. I want Colin Gillespie. That that could absolutely happen, and, and I wouldn't blame him. Senior point guards, I love it. Take, take those guys, get them on cheap contracts, get them in your lineup. But the two prospects that we really would want to talk about would be EJ Liddell and Malachi Brandon for Ohio state, both looking like first round picks, both had spectacular games against Villanova this past weekend. Both of them performed phenomenally. Steven, I will kick it over to you out of EJ Liddell, and Malachi Brandon, who do you think had the best performance in terms of what could possibly boost their draft stock? How are you gonna do me like that, Nathan? I love both of them. It's like which kid is your favorite kid? But uh, I'll touch Speaking on of one. That, why not? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, which I mean, obviously, it's my my. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm gonna temper my feelings for one prospect. I'm gonna try to take a page out of Rutgers' book. I'm gonna open with Malachi Branham. And here's the thing: the fact that coming into the season, the expectations for him were low. He is. This is EJ Liddell's team. 
the fact that Branham has come along and become trusted in clutch time situations, it speaks volumes to where he is already as a freshman. The moment didn't seem too big for him. It didn't feel, none of his plays felt rushed, even in a loss. You know, he was composed. He And I want to be careful with how I phrase that because you could say, okay, well, sometimes if you're behind, you have to make big moments and big plays. I don't think that we were robbed of that from Branham. Like he took over in this game. I mean, over 20 points, he moved the ball well. And if you just watch him run a court for three seconds, you just look at him and you're like, that's an NBA player. This, even in a loss against Villanova, Villanova put so much pressure on him, which a, a coach like Coach Wright out of there, that speaks volumes to the, how much he respects and, and or fears Branham this young already. He had um, he had nothing uncontested inside the arc. He did have some open threes, which it was good to see him knock down the open shots, but inside yeah. the arc, he had nothing that, was, that wasn't contested. Well, it's because the other guy on this team, Liddell, is such a beast in the paint that you, you can't just leave him on an island either, right? So... Liddell is fortunate enough, or excuse me, Branham is fortunate enough to play alongside a guy like Adell where he can get open perimeter looks. But when he was creating off the bounce, and I still loved every every second of his game, I loved because even in the mistakes, you know that he's not afraid. And at his position, that's paramount. And I think that an NBA team is going to be fortunate enough to land him later on in the first. Maybe, maybe he's played his way up and maybe the pre-draft process shakes his way, but I loved his performance. I, I can't speak enough. He, for him to be so young, for him not to have the expectations and, and to play under control the way he did, I, I just can't speak highly enough of Branham. Rucker, I, I'm going to pose the same question to you. I think I'll, I'll try and answer it as the middleman here. I, I think Liddell actually stood out to be more. And the reason why it's not because of some of the shots he was able to make. It wasn't the tough looks in the post or the open threes that he was able to knock down. Cause we've seen those shots all year, but his defense has really been something that I've wanted to go back and do more of a deep dive on. And I will definitely be doing a deep dive on it after the year, but some of the play, it wasn't just the fact that he got the five combined steals and blocks. It was just some of the plays he was able to make on the ball, guarding down low, holding his own, being a menace on the, like just some of the things he was able to do defensively. Like I, I knew that some of the versatility he brought to the table was a big selling point for him to go somewhere who needs a forward. Like we've mocked him to, to Minnesota at this point. Like that would be a really good fit for him. But like, I, I, I didn't realize he could do some of the things he can do defensively. And, and that I think is really what changes the game and pushes his narrative more into the top 20 conversation that, than it might've already been. So that I think it's not that Brandon wasn't spectacular because he was, we knew how good of a spot-up shooter he is. He's the spot-up king in this draft. But what Liddell showed me, I think, is more of what I haven't necessarily seen in depth and another reason why I need to go back and, and do a deeper study and and why his draft stock has, has really started to climb. What about you? Yeah, the, you know, the, I was just thinking about it while you guys were talking. The, the funny thing about this draft class is it's almost turning into like one of the biggest challenges ever because it goes like against everything you think of as an evaluator, <laughs> like Chet, 195 pounds, seven foot. If you just told us that you'd be like, no, but then you watch him and you're like, Oh gosh, like, yes. And then you're like, okay, well, where's he going to fit? So like, you're puzzled about that. Keegan Murray's the older sophomore that everyone's like, well, you know, and then he just goes and dominates the whole year. We have all these weird questions. Like Kendall Brown, we talked about earlier. 
EJ's kind of in that category because he's an undersized power forward at six seven for a, a modern NBA that's kind of getting away from the old school power forward. But then you watch him defensively, and, and I really do think like people are fascinated that he's like six seven and and wide bodied. And then you watch him defensively, and he just he has that athleticism, the pop, and, and his shot blocking is really underrated. His like, weak side really, shot blocking yes. is absurd. Love it, it. it for for his size and his measurables, like his shot blocking percentage and, and all that stuff is unbelievable. So you know, I, I just keep. I'm right there with you, Nathan. I keep being so impressed with him. Um, and he's he's got the potential to be a really nice weapon. I, I'm exactly what you said. Like, if he went to a team like Minnesota, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, what a great fit. Just because you put him alongside, like, a traditional five that can potentially space the floor, like Carl Anthony Towns were hypothetically saying, like, Liddell would be a very nice piece next to him. And I think he plays the game the right way where it's, like, just – mature understands when to take his shots understands like okay don't force but he can also he can put you on the block go to work he can finish around the basket and then i've had him i've seen him make some rejections like reacting to switch in the air by the ball handler that he blocks with the other hand like weak side or on the other side of the rim rejections like he has some really nice instincts so he does a little bit of everything on the court like what what really is capable i understand that he might not be like good to great at at everything on the court but like what is it that he can't do at the very least at an average level on the basketball court like i can't think of anything off the top of my head now that i've seen enough i i think everyone's fascinated that he's like six seven two forty and everyone's like oh he's he's this big body small forward that shouldn't be able to move well but he's a dancing bear like he moves so damn quick when he wants to get somewhere he can get there fast He's even got a second jump that doesn't get discussed a lot. Yep, And and he finishes with authority. He has some rejections where I'm like, how did you get that high? Like, this makes no sense. Like, physics, someone would be blowing their mind apart. He's a bumblebee, right? Yes. So, I don't know. I I feel like he, him and Malachi would not shock me if they skyrocketed in draft talks, like, throughout these next coming months. I would not be shocked if some teams, like, we love – Malachi Branham, like lottery. I would not be socked because, you know, he's been unbelievable the last stretch of the season. He's averaging like over 20 a game in a long stretch. He looks like he has scary upside. EJ's the same way. I think some team's going to be like, this could be the missing piece that really gives us a nice player in our rotation. So I'm high on both. And, and it, this weekend of March Madness just cemented what I believe. I, I really do think there's some some really good pieces there for the draft. The last game that we're going to talk about does fully cement what, Mar- what March Madness is, what it always represents every single year. TCU at Arizona from start to finish. Absolutely brilliant game. Multiple standout performances, even on the TCU side, the losing side. Mike Miles, he, yep. he didn't have one of his better shooting performances from the field, but you could just feel his impact from start to finish as the point guard for that team. I think that that was one of the bigger questions for me is how much of a point guard actually is he, especially when the shot isn't falling. Like if if he's not out there to be a primary scoring slash shooting type of point guard, can he actually step up and be more of a floor general? The assist to turnover ratio didn't look great, but I think just what he did in terms of being able to get to his spots, 
point that, that Rucker brought up about a few pro, uh, prospects tonight, being able to get to his spots and just make things happen and make the defense overcommit or supposed to be doing against somebody like Miles at times, that's just a dimension that, that changes the game. And it really was able to swing that in TCU's favor for quite a bit. But towards the end, Arizona fell back, but then they came back, they pushed it, and they won the game in overtime behind standout performances from Ben Mather and Christian Coloco. Dale and Terry didn't have his most impactful offensive game, but the five steals, he made some very timely plays on the basketball defensively. I mean, what 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 more could you not like from from this Arizona team? Like they 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 are really living up to the promise that I thought they could. They are looking like legitimate contenders to win the national championship, as a lot of people picked. Stephen, before you blow your load about this game, <laughs> I'm actually going to kick it. I'm actually going to kick it to Rucker, the the resident Arizona fanboy slash. Homer I guess that's slash okay. Whatever derogatory term we want to use for somebody who's supposed to be in media, whatever we want to talk about. <laughs> Give us all of your Arizona thoughts. What did you like? What maybe didn't you like? Give us all your thoughts. Yeah, I'll try to keep this quick so Steven has some stuff to talk about. I apologize for anyone that's looking at me on YouTube um, because that game took about two years off my life last <laughs> night. So, um, yeah, it, it was an incredible game. Um it was just pretty wild. Like I thought Coloco was absolutely sensational. I, I still think like ever since conference tournament play, he's, he's really sending a statement to NBA executives and decision makers. And I think he's going to be a first round pick if he keeps playing like this. Like, I mean, what else do you need from him? He made a bunch of plays. Like he was on fire that first half, then kind of slowed down a little bit in the second half. Um, had some rough possessions, but then kind of battled back, made some big free throws, some big plays, the tip and dunk at the end. Matherin was just, that was a really impressive game for Matherin because struggled getting the, the shot to fall the first half. And what was fascinating to me was Arizona was trying to go small ball with TCU and they were just like all over the place. They were subbing guys in left and right. Nothing would work. They couldn't really go to their too big lineup. So then they kept trying to match TCU, go small, and then they were getting destroyed on the boards. And Lampkin I was, like, oh, was yeah, absolutely Lamp unbelievable. Lampkin was, was yeah, he's, he's becoming, one of those. If he's on your team, you love him, guys. Yes. And if you play against him, you ha absolutely hate his guts. If they won that game, he would have been like all time March Madness villain team. Like probably there's a was statue of him it, yeah. at TCU. <laughs> so I mean, and they were just getting destroyed, and he was going nuts. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't think they're going to have it. Because I was like, Arizona's all over the place. Um, they kept subbing guys in. They would sub Tabellus in for one possession, then take him out for a guard. And I'm like, what's going on? Kreza was, I mean, looked like me shooting out there. Um, and then finally, like, just Matherin was just like, screw it. I'm taking it. I'm taking over. And he was just so damn impressive. Yeah, that one um, stretch where where Kreisa missed like three point three yeah. three point shots in a row, and then all of a sudden Matherin's just like, "Fuck it, I'm coming in for the rebound." And he just yeah, once something done right, you got to do it yourself. Right, you know? and, and that's kind of something I I think's really not talked about enough with Matherin. Like he wants to go mix it up. He will go hit the glass, and, and he made a couple of big offensive rebounds. The free throw they had missed, he had the putback right away. Um, 11 of 13 from the free throw line by yeah, the way. speaking and, of free throws but he also just showed like he didn't he, he hit a couple threes they started coming out on him he got to the free throw line he put it on the ground and got to the basket like kind of calmed things down 
um, you know, the three that he hit to, to push the OT, I was like, oh my gosh, like what a From the logo. Ugh, it was just unreal. And then um, just the dunk, obviously, like when he committed murder on national television and hasn't been arrested for it. Like, <laughs> I don't understand why we don't, you know, arrest those people, but jokes aside. Yeah. I, that's all I really have. Steven, I'm sorry if I took everything you wanted to say, but it was a great game. I, I'm pumped for Matherin. I want to see what they can do because I think Houston's going to be another TCU type of clone that's probably better at being what they want. Like TCU is probably going to try, I mean, excuse me, Houston probably going to try to run with them. And I think I think, I think Houston Houston yeah. doesn't have like a Lampkin down low right, right, to change right. the game, but they're better in every other aspect of their team than TCU yes. was. So, um, and, and it'll be interesting because Houston's always one of these March Madness teams. Like Samson does an unbelievable job coaching them. They're always just dogs, and I think Arizona, if they don't clean up that rebounding, um, they're going to have some problems. But you know, a couple extra days to prep, that's going to be a fantastic game. Steven, go go ahead. Floor is yours on, on Mr. Matherin. I'll keep this brief. <laughs> Sorry, please. Steven. No, 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 no. You're fine. Please, please, anybody listening who has any pull at all on when to schedule Arizona games, put this man on freaking primetime television because every night, no- you know, Rucker and I have talked about this for, it feels like for months now, Yeah, where it's like, we're just convinced that people aren't watching enough Benedict Matherin. Yeah, because everybody's grandpa's like me who actually want to go to bed at a reasonable hour, Steve. And even Thursday night, 9.59 tip time for Houston, Arizona, you know damn well it's not going to be 9.59. It's going to be like 10.30. You have to up to like 1 o'clock. Take a nap in the middle of the day. Have a coffee at about 8 p.m. You're good to go. I mean, I've there's ways to do this. There's ways to do this, Nathan. And I did a podcast after the game, too, on top of that. So, you know, maybe, maybe just watch the games. I don't well, you're, know. You're, but, you're, um, you're, you're, you're just a madman. So. Break my arm to pat myself on the back here. But please put Benedict Matherin on primetime because I'm so sick of hearing that he can't do X, Y, and Z. And then when you watch him play, he does X, Y, and Z and invents more letters after the alphabet just to shove it in your face. You know, like he's, he does create off the bounce. He threw whip passes across the court. He did pull up from mid range. He dumped all over TCU and he shot from the logo. He got to the free throw line. He defended his tail off and he got like five rebounds in a row on one possession. So I'm at the point now where I might have him over Johnny Davis and I might not feel good about it at the end of the day. But Benedict Matherin might be like the best player that no one's talking about at a respectful level in college basketball. And I'm I've I've said it for a while, y'all both know that. I'm just I don't have to say it anymore. You know, put him on primetime and everyone else will watch it. Christian Coloco, my goodness, like he's he was everywhere that first half. And the second half, like people will look at the Lampley performance and be like, Well, how can you like Christian Coloco after Lampley dominated. We'll go back and watch the film because Lampley won everyone over by being so demonstrative after every play. Like Christian Coloco just showed up and and won the game. <laughs> you know, like he he's a bring your lunch pail type big. And he, okay, like you want to keep poking at me? And here you go. I'm gonna you know cut your head off at the end of the game. And then Dalen Terry, he didn't have the biggest offensive performance, but you know I've been sarcastically been saying that he's the number one overall pick. But I mean. He might be playing his 
itself into legitimate first round conversations. And people may not even have to like be scared to say that out loud by the end of the tournament. I have very little ad. I think both of you guys did a great job. Briefly, that was that was an eye opener. Um, I we we've seen Matherin have standout performances beginning of the year in the middle part of the year. Rucker and I have talked about both of them on this very podcast. The Illinois game really stands out to me in particular. Yep. This is probably his best game of the year, unless he does something where he goes even more nuclear in later games in this tournament. But yeah, he. I I think. You can argue a lot of different guys in the top 10 in terms of like their order, their pecking order. But if you're leaving Matherin outside like your top nine, top 10 at this point, like what are you doing? Like, let's Yeah, what, let's, what let's are you it. watching? I, I don't think he can be lower than 10 for me at this point. Even, even if we want to reinsert Shane Sharp into the conversation, whenever the hell that comes up, like I can't have Matherin lower than, than 10 at this point. And I might flip some guys around, who knows? But yeah, he's, he's definitely a top 10 pick. I think uh, one last thing that I think is actually important that I just thought of for anyone listening, like I always say don't overreact to performances in these games. And like, yeah, bathroom was amazing. But I, I think it is also important when guys have this game, how they respond, because yes. that also could unlock another player that you haven't seen all year, where it's all of a sudden like he has that game on the biggest stage. And then all of a sudden, the next game starts out two for two, and he's got a little extra pep in his step, and he's like, I'm here. Like, yep, this is this is me. I'm going to show everyone. And then all of a sudden, you know, something might click where it's like, okay, whoa. Like, he had the best game. His confidence is soaring. Now, all of a sudden, he's just a complete monster. Like, that's the stuff you got to keep in your head because, you know, of course these guys are going to be pumped when they have a big game in the regular season. But when it's March Madness, the biggest stage, and they, you know, absolutely take over and we're the talk of the town for, you know, three or four days. And then all of a sudden the next game, they sort of find their groove early on. Like, that also could show you something else of like, hey, now I'm really starting to believe in myself and, and you know, Maybe Matherin does keep creeping up. I, I think Steven's right on. Like, we've had him top 10. I still think he's one of the more underrated guys in the top 10. Like, and it's weird to say, but he's just really starting to show, like, he can do a lot more than I think people thought. Well, you're, you're also just looking for as many excuses as possible to post that freaking Price is Right meme that you absolutely love. Yeah, yes, my, everyone. That, that is works. Tyler Rucker's If you don't meme. laugh at that, I need to have a serious heart-to-heart <laughs> -heart with you. Like, we need to go to a therapist. It's the funniest thing ever. Well, they could be 16 years old and not understand what that television show is. Yeah, you know? that's actually probably realistic, but, you know, come on. Bob, Sorry Bob, to Bob Barker, rest in peace, National Treasure. All right, Pete, um, Bob. Now you're yeah. going to get it, Bobby. <laughs> we we had some other, I should say, I had some other names written down in terms of prospects buzzing. We we don't have to touch on those guys. We will, we will definitely talk about them at other points, but to close out the podcast, Stephen, give us your other two Warriors of the Week that you wanted to highlight. Yeah, for sure. And these are out of five. And if you want to find out who the other two names were, just go to NoSeelingsNBA.com and go look up the Weekend Warrior and, and you'll get the full starting five here. But we already touched on Drew Timmy. Oscar Shibwe, in a losing effort, put up 30 points on 11 of 16 shooting, was 8 of 12 from the free throw line, 16 rebounds, two, re or two assists, 
four stocks. That's two steals and two blocks apiece, and was just part of a lion. You know, if you listen to the uh, World of Basketball podcast with Fran Fischilla, he interviewed Oscar Sheebway, and from that moment on, like he was just one of those dudes that you loved. Like you'll run through a wall watching him play or listening to him talk. I think he used the term warrior in every sentence that he used to describe himself. And listening to about his upbringing and everything that he's had had to overcome off the court to see him just be on an absolute berserk rampage on the court is so much fun to see. And then the last guy is the unsung point guard out of San Francisco, Jer, uh, Jamari Bouye out of San Bouye. Francisco. Bouye! Uh, he put up 36 points in a losing effort against Murray State, was 13 of 26 from the floor, was only 4 of 12 from deep, but he was really their only offensive threat. Was Such six a fun of eight... game, though. Such oh, a absolutely. Game. The fact that they played each other is a crime. They should have gone up against bigger-name schools and been upsets, but it is what it is. He also had three rebounds, three assists, a steal, a block, and only one turnover out of all the plays that he was responsible for. He only turned the ball over once, and this might be a guy who, senior point guard from a you know kind of a lesser-known school, Get some sort of exhibit 10, you know, 10 day contract and may find his way onto a roster. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing Bouye mentioned because NBA players are talking about him. We saw CJ McCollum, among many others, say that's a player. And if NBA guys are saying that, they might be on to something. So I would keep an eye on, you know, Jamari Bouye moving forward. Well, boys, we covered a ton of ground in this podcast. I can't thank you enough for, for coming on. As always, Rucker. Do it. This is you, your outro, your plugs, what you do every week. Go ahead. I'm at noceilingsmba.com, and I cannot manage how much content is about to start pouring out, so please just buckle up. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a bumpy ride, as I always say. Now I actually got a couple stuff in the work. The prospect videos are coming back. We're going to have some season-long highlights of everyone at No Ceilings which is going to be fun. Um, I just can't wait. I, I mean, this is, this is awesome. Thank you as always, Nathan, for having me on every Monday. This has been great. Steven, you're already kicking ass. So I love it. And, uh, thank you, sir. To keep doing this with you guys. we got some fun times ahead. Steven, give, give your plugs, man. Yeah. So if, um, I, first off, I want to shout out two podcasts that were gracious enough to have me on to, to give my thoughts about, you know, basketball prospects first off my buddy zach ramey aka knowledge from the off the glass podcast he had me on we, we talked about a lot of the same stuff and i kind of foretold what was going to happen with uh, benedict mather and i'm really proud of that so go and listen to the off the glass podcast anywhere you get your podcast and then rafael barlow friend of everybody here at no ceilings you know he had me on his show um after the big news that chad ford is kind of handing over the reins for him he had me on and we talked about a lot of these same players and games as well that was a lot of fun. So go listen to, you know, you can look up the big board. You can look up the Locked On Sports Network where he contributes, I think, like twice a week. He does a phenomenal job. So shout out to those guys. But if you want to follow me, you can do so. I'm most active on Twitter at Steven. That's with the PH. So Steven G Hoops. And I got written work that's coming out on NoCeilingsNBA.com as well as the rest of our freaking fabulous team. Great pieces put out literally every day so far. So if you're a sicko like us, you know, go and check out the website. And then obviously you can keep listening to me co-host with this handsome devil 
on the Draft Deeper podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast, go and look that up. Like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And Nathan, I believe that we got some pretty cool guests lined up in the works. We do. So thank you again, as always, for listening to this episode of the podcast. As Stephen mentioned, you can get this wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. Stay tuned to No Ceilings. Again, subscribe, noceilingsnba.com for plenty more written content as stay locked into this podcast feed. As we mentioned, we'll have Coach Adam Spinella on later this week. We hopefully have some podcasts coming up with some more big-name guests. We're looking at hoping to have a pretty big April and May stretch before everybody gets too busy. They don't want to come on these little shows like Draft Deeper anymore. So we'll, we'll, we'll try and knock everybody out as, as soon as possible and, and keep the content flowing. But we'll, we'll, all, we'll, listen, we'll all be back next week. We'll be talking about the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. Rucker, Rucker's not going anywhere yet. He's, he's still locked in. It'll be another Monday just like usual. But until then... Thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.